This is Shelter in Place, a podcast about coming together in a world that pulls us apart. From Oakland, California to Hamilton, Massachusetts, I'm Laura Joyce Davis. For the past two and a half weeks, my family and I have been on the road, slowly making our way from Massachusetts to California. Since we don't know when we'll get the chance to travel back this way, we're trying to see the family and friends we've missed during the pandemic. Some of them are like us, pandemic refugees who left California to find new jobs or get help with kids from extended family. Others are people we haven't seen in decades, but who have welcomed us into their homes just the same. We've stayed in tents and in basements, on farms and in cities. Right now, I'm recording this in a tiny cabin in northern Michigan, a place I've never been before, even though I grew up in Minnesota and went to college in Wisconsin. It's a place of aquamarine glacial lakes, of pine trees and clean, crisp air. It's a place that reminds me a lot of where I grew up just a couple of states over. In all of our travels, we've been having conversations about what makes a place home. We're pulling together a mini-series on home that we'll be releasing in the coming months, even as our family is making some big changes and slowly traveling home. Today, I want to share with you a conversation with someone who spent a lot of time thinking about big transitions. Alina Sarabriani is the host and creator of Lane Change, a podcast about helping people make big changes in work and life through stories and community. Alina started Lane Change because she wanted to highlight stories about people who had made big changes, especially during the pandemic. Alina does a great job of pulling together the story behind Shelter in Place with bigger questions about life and creativity. I hope you enjoy listening as much as I enjoyed talking with her. When you're done listening, I hope you'll check out Lane Change for yourself and then rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Here's that conversation. I think especially with something like a daily podcast where you don't have time to sit on things very long, you kind of decide how much of yourself you're going to share. And this was the first time in my own writing that I really made a commitment to go there. And what I mean by that is I decided I would be open about my own struggles. I'm Alina Sarabriani, and this is Lane Change, a show where I talk to guests about making radical transitions in their careers. This season, we're featuring creators who left their day jobs, built a following, and forged their own path. I'm extremely excited to introduce Laura Joyce Davis today. She is the creator and host of Shelter in Place, an incredible podcast about coming together in a world that pulls us apart. I highly recommend checking it out. She is also a Fulbright Scholar, an award-winning fiction writer, a WNYC Podcast Accelerator finalist, the winner of the Poets and Writers Exchange Award, a two-time Pushcart Prize nominee. I wanted to start just by getting a little bit better sense uh, about your background, especially before you launched the podcast and your life before COVID. I think for most people, the pandemic changed things in some way, but for our family, there's before COVID and there's after COVID. And it's just been this really dramatic shift 
my kids are little. And before the pandemic, there were a number of years where I was actually a collegiate running coach and that was my full-time job. And I was sort of fitting writing into the margins of that. And then I got a Fulbright and we lived in the Philippines for a year. And that year in many ways changed everything for us because it not only was a total shift in the priorities that we had for our life, but also for me as a writer, it was the point where I said, okay, I'm not going to go back to another full-time job. I'm going to see if I can do this full-time. But in the San Francisco Bay Area, having a couple where only one person has a job is generally just not done because it's so expensive to live there. And then we had kids after that. So then it kind of shifted us into another trade-off where suddenly we had these babies. So for the last eight years and change, I have been writing almost every day, but the main job that I was doing was parenting because it just kind of made sense financially for my husband to be the one who had the full-time job. So with the pandemic, that all changed basically overnight. I had been working on another podcast for about a year before the pandemic. I'd done a bunch of interviews. And when the pandemic happened, I wasn't ready to launch it, but I thought, well, this is great. I have all of these skills that I've learned over the last year with podcasting. I'll start this daily podcast as my own little creative project to keep myself sane. Our kids will probably be home for three weeks and then everything will go back to normal. I mean, that was really what I thought in the beginning. And of course, that is not what happened. We all know now the joke was on me. Four months and a hundred episodes later, I had become a full-time podcaster. My husband was working for me at that point. He lost his job two weeks into the pandemic. So that obviously was a huge upset for our family that we had to navigate. And pretty much every other plan that we had made, not just for that time, but for the whole year 2020, 2021, just kind of vanished overnight. And we had to renegotiate all of these things that we thought were secure. And so we kind of flip-flopped roles. You know, it went from me being the primary caregiver to my husband being the primary caregiver. And I would say even now that is still true. I mean, we're now getting help with our kids from his parents. We've moved across the country for that, but it's been a really interesting shift for our family to find ourselves at a place where not just career roles, but gender roles have switched for us in our marriage. And it's been an interesting ride. It definitely sounds like it, especially thinking about how much has changed over how short of a period of time. How do you describe shelter in place and what is it about? I knew I didn't want it to just be one thing. I wanted it to be something that could keep me interested for a long, long time and that would have enough flexibility that it could be different things on different days. And especially in the beginning, I was doing it six days a week. I thought it would just be me sharing short personal essays The phrase that we often use on our team now is open-hearted memoir. I think the open-hearted part is important because anybody who has written memoir knows you kind of have to decide pretty quickly, I think, especially with something like a daily podcast where you don't have time to sit on things very long, you kind of decide how much of yourself you're going to share. This was the first time in my own writing that I really made a commitment to go there. 
And what I mean by that is I decided I would be open about my own struggles and talk about it when I wasn't doing great as a parent or when I was feeling like a failure myself as a writer or struggling in some way that very quickly became an important component of just being as authentic as I could be in this daily podcast where I was kind of chronicling my days, but also trying to pull in other people's research and other stories I was hearing. I did not intend for this to happen, but I ended up having 50 interviews (laughs) in those 100 episodes. (laughs) And that kind of led me to where we are at season two. Every episode of Shelter in Place, whether it's an interview episode, a memoir episode, or even fiction, it's always this movement of looking in and reaching out, transforming communities by transforming ourselves. Those two things work in tandem, but it really starts with looking honestly at yourself and saying, okay, where am I maybe part of the problem? Where could I grow or change or just be kinder to myself? I try to share my own experience of honestly grappling with this stuff. It can be really hard, painful work sometimes. And then connecting that with these bigger issues, whether that be what's going on in the news that day or some topic that we are kind of all thinking about. There's certainly a storytelling component, but we also talk about systemic racism and the wealth gap and climate change and faith and all of these different things that I think we're all thinking about on some level. I think it's your stories that make it so resonant. And I think there are a lot of people who are reframing both who they are, what some of their beliefs are, what they thought they wanted and what they recognize now that they want. How do you think about your own story or your own identity? Is there some sort of way in which this podcast is is your process of figuring out your story? I think it's absolutely true. And I think as a creative person, you always do this to some degree. You know, when you have something terrible happen, it's awful. And then five minutes later, you're like, how can I reframe this? How can I justify this horrible experience in some way by making art out of it? And I think this is sort of that idea in hyperdrive. Now we're weekly in season two. Thank goodness. I mean, season one, it was a really interesting exercise to make 100 episodes in four months. And I learned a lot, but I'm also, I have some boundaries for myself. And so we're not going to do that in season two. But even with a weekly, you have to kind of move fast and you have to look at the moment in front of you and do the best you can do with it and then move on to the next moment. And sometimes what you produce out of that is satisfying and wonderful and rewarding. And then other times you're like, okay, I did the best I could do on to the next one. And I think that is such a good metaphor for life in general, but especially life in the pandemic, because there's so much we can't control right now. Life has become very intense in some ways, having this work be not just my creative work, but what my family is actually experiencing week to week. But it's also really clarified for us some of our values and some of the things that we thought were important before. And now we're questioning some of those things and reframing them. And to be perfectly honest, some of that is really uncomfortable. It's not an easy place to be all the time because there is so much uncertainty. I think probably at least once a month, I say to my husband, you know, maybe we should just try to go find some job. (laughs) I don't care what it is, just something consistent that we can count on. We know the paycheck's coming. It's going to be fine. The rest of the time, I'm really glad we're doing what we're doing and it feels worth it. 
but it's, you know, there's so much up and down and it can feel wonderful on some days and terrible on other days. You know, one of the things that's in season two of Shelter in Place is this backdrop. We call it the pandemic odyssey because the through line of all the episodes of season two is my family and I leaving our home of 16 years in California and traveling to Massachusetts to get the support of extended family. And we genuinely don't know how the story is going to turn out. And we don't know if we'll go back to sell our house and move somewhere else, or if we'll go back and say, we're doing this and we're just going to make it work. It's forcing us to face those really hard questions. I think one of the things that's interesting, because a lot of people are recognizing the power of having a little bit more of a platform, and then the crushing amount of work that takes hits them. Oh, yeah. It goes from being kind of oh, I'm creating content as a form of expression to, wow, I have to stay motivated to produce so much work consistently. And especially when you're beginning, that work isn't really monetized. So you're just putting things out. And I'm just really wondering if you could speak a little about the task of putting out a podcast every day. And even if it's weekly now, like the task of putting out that much content takes a certain kind of motivation that I'm curious how you've navigated what kind of reserves you've <laughs> you've reached into yeah. in order to access that motivation. Yeah, it's not an easy question, right? When I started Shelter in Place season one, like I said, I thought I was going to be doing it for three weeks. I thought I would put out 18 episodes and then I would go back to what had been regular life before that. If I had had any idea what I was getting myself into... I don't think there's a chance I would have done it. I think I would have been so terrified for one thing at even the thought of producing a hundred episodes in a row. Like, I mean, that was just not even something that I could conceive of. And so in some ways I accidentally got myself into this and only discovered that it was possible because I was actually doing it. And I do think you learn the best by doing the thing, right? You make mistakes, you learn fast because you have to. But I will also say, I think it's a real challenge, not just as a creative person, but any person who has a fair amount of ambition to not let that rule you. You know, I come from a family of very ambitious people who are all very hard workers. And so that's kind of how I was raised. And there's something really wonderful about that. It's a gift in many ways to be able to work hard. And at the same time, it can also be a prison. I do think it's been this dance continually of falling into the deep end of workaholism and then being like, okay, got to recalibrate and let good enough be good enough. I have a friend who always says better done than perfect. And it's really hard for me still. But I'm also really grateful for that lesson that I just keep learning over and over and over again. And then I should say in the sake of full transparency that my husband coming to work with me has been both the most challenging and wonderful thing about our marriage in this last year. We have a great time working together. It's really, really fun to be creative together. And then we're also navigating the very real challenge of, okay, who's doing the parenting thing now and who's working now? And, you know, oh, you did more of this today. And so I need to do that tomorrow. And the tension that inevitably comes up with that. Maybe somebody has figured out a great way to do this where it's all perfectly balanced, but it's not always realistic. You have seasons where you lean into one area more than the other and you try not to fall in. (laughs) You know, if you're working a little more in this season, then you try to ease up and make sure that you have like a good weekend with the kids or whatever it is. I mean, I think it looks so different now with the pandemic. 
but it's been tricky. James Clear has this thing called the four burners theory. I don't know if you've ever heard about this, but it's this idea that everyone has four burners and the four burners are work, family, health, and friends. And he says, if you want to be successful, you need to have at least two of those burners turned way down. And then if you want to be really, really successful, you probably need to have three of them turned down. And I encountered this idea years ago. It's one that I just keep coming back to because I'll find myself in these seasons of life where I'm like, whoa, the family burner is full blaze and everything else is suffering. And I feel bad about that. And then I realize oh no, actually this makes perfect sense that everything else is suffering because I don't actually have it in me, humanly speaking, to crank up four burners at the same time. You have to pick and choose sometimes. But you know, when I look at the people in my life that are really successful, it's like you can just kind of go through and be like, oh yep, this person, great career, great family, doesn't have any friends, doesn't ever exercise. I mean, it's almost like Mm -hmm. uncanny how all of the hugely successful people I know this is true of. And that's not a criticism. I think that's just how life works. And it's it's been helpful for me actually to give myself that grace and be like, well, I'm not going to do this perfectly, but hopefully I can keep that bigger picture in sight enough to not let the important things suffer, or at least not for too long. (laughs) Absolutely. We talked a little bit about the pressure to keep creating and producing content, but then the other pressure that seems to come in is like, okay, now that content has to perform and we have to figure out a way for it to sustain ourselves financially. Did you start this podcast thinking eventually this is something I'm going to monetize? Yeah, certainly not initially. I think it happened pretty fast. As soon as I realized that this wasn't just going to be a three-week project, it very quickly went to, okay, I want to monetize. I'm learning about this. I'm talking to all of these other podcasters who have successfully monetized. And, you know, let's start a Patreon account and let's start talking to sponsors and get ad support and all these different ways that you can monetize. And let's pitch to these other podcast media places. And there are all of these different ways that people can make money doing podcasting but they're all directly tied to how many people are listening. I think doing this work has kind of given me something to show up for. Mental health hasn't always been great in the pandemic, but I think I've done as well as I have with it, mostly because I've had this creative work kind of keeping me focused and keeping me showing up for something. It actually was a lifeline in many ways. And then at the same time, what you're saying is absolutely true. I think we do have to ask these questions of what do we do when the world's response doesn't match up with the effort we're putting into this or even the quality of the work that we're putting out there? If we know the work is good and it still isn't doing the thing that we hope it will do, whether that be getting hundreds of thousands of downloads or getting a book deal or an agent or, you know, fill in the blank, you're always playing this game of, well, I want to just care about the work and let that be enough. But at the same time, I have to care about how many people are listening Because if I want to monetize this, I can't ignore that. I've got to do promotion. I've got to get it out there. I've got to be engaging the listeners I do have. I don't have a perfect answer to that question. I think it's something we are always figuring out. We finally got to this partnership with Herd at Media, which again, if we get enough downloads, could mean sponsorships. That's their structure. But what we realize is unless you are lucky enough to be a big sensation right off the bat, and you know some people do a great job of planning that lead up, but since we didn't have a lead up, we didn't really have that option. We just kind of were already in the thing by the time we made that choice. What we realized is that it was a much better situation for us to say, okay, let's just make sure we're doing enough freelance work to cover our bills 
you know, again, that move across the country was partially financial. So we're in a place now where our cost of living is very, very low. And then when shelter in place brings in some money, we don't have to be relying on just that. So I think it's been evolving and I suspect it will continue to evolve. I think this is part of this creator economy that so many people are part of right now and that we're kind of diving into this season is that on one hand, you are in this place where your creative work isn't intermediated in order for it to be seen in the first place. Like when you talk about having to go through 16 or so revisions of your novel just for an agent to pick it up and for it to get out in the world. In a way, you've seen both structures. You've you've been like the writer that has the gatekeeper. And now you're the podcaster that is fully dependent on my audience and they come with different challenges. I think there are pros and cons of both. And I still very much believe in the traditional editorial structure. I never self-publish because I believe a good editor can do a great thing for a book. And I've watched that happen now dozens of times with the women in my writing group who all have published books. And I still hope for that. But I think about the novels that I wrote when I was first starting out, I was so sure that what I wanted was those books to make it out there right away. And looking back now, I am honestly glad they didn't because I was learning to be a writer. I was improving my craft and sometimes that process was painful. I learned a ton. And I think you could certainly learn while also publishing books, and plenty of people do. But the way the publishing industry is now, it's not very forgiving with that. If you are lucky enough to get the book out there right away, there's just a ton of pressure to have it splash in a big way right off the bat, but then also to follow up. And I'm sure we can all think of authors who had a best-selling book and then we don't hear from them again. And I suspect that's probably because of that pressure. Now, I think there is that pressure with something like podcasting, but it's kind of the opposite extreme in some ways, right? Because when you put the thing out and then you move on to the next one, it sort of forces you to keep moving. And in both situations, I've learned a ton. And in one, it's been by not getting through the gate and just having to try and try to do the thing better than I did at the time before. And in the other, it's just been by doing the thing over and over and over again, now more than a hundred times. The benefit of both is the same. It's practice, right? Natalie Goldberg in her book, Writing Down the Bone, she talks about don't have so much pressure on yourself to write perfectly. Just practice at writing. Set the timer for 10 minutes and see what happens if you just let yourself go. And I think in some ways that's what podcasting has done for me especially with the daily episodes, I was setting the timer, metaphorically speaking, and I had 24 hours to get that thing out. And I just had to see what I could do practicing writing a podcast episode. And so I did the best I could do, get it out, move on to the next one. I definitely learned the craft of podcasting over the course of season one. And that is a great gift that many people go years of their life without getting to have that experience. I wouldn't necessarily recommend it, but I also don't regret it in the same way that I don't regret not having those books published yet. Hopefully I'll get the chance to do that at some point. But in the meantime, I'm really grateful to get to put my work out there in this way. One of the other skills is this component of how do you actually build out an audience? And mm -hmm. are there things that you've learned on that front through this experience that were either new or that have shifted your thinking? Yes, and also the skill of building an audience. I think you still need it, whether you're a writer of literary fiction or a podcaster. 
I think for a lot of years as a writer, when I thought about platform and audience engagement, I felt so uncomfortable with it because I didn't want to be self-promoting. I didn't want to bother people. It felt sales pitchy to put myself out there. I didn't like that. And so I really just shied away from it as much as I possibly could. There's a big difference between trying to get people to pay attention to you and trying to think about how your work can actually help other people. And trying to make work that feels like a gift to people. And so I always think about that now, whether I'm creating an episode of Shelter in Place or I'm sending something out to our newsletter list or any number of other promotional things, I'm always thinking about how can I provide something that actually people would be glad to get right now? And I think the engagement that we've had with our listeners, it's not a show we're putting on. Like This is really who we are and we really do genuinely mean it as a gift for people. It's funny, even from the entrepreneurial world, where I came from, this idea of if you can see what you're doing as really the act of helping someone, and if you can't, that's fine as well. You're not always the right solution for someone. But if you can see what you're doing as helping someone, and if you can see what you're doing as really creating just genuine value, whether that's through storytelling and allowing them to see inspiration or resonate with what you're talking about, then your promotion, quote unquote, feels like a natural extension. <laughs> if you had to take out from the process of going through this act of changing lanes from fiction to podcasting, what do you think one of your biggest learnings has been? I think a real epiphany happened for both me and my husband, Nate, who does this with me, when we launched our apprenticeship program, which was something that we'd been talking about for months. And we sort of had all of these pieces to put together. I mentioned earlier, I was a collegiate coach for years, but since I had kids, I almost completely stopped coaching. And this has been a way to bring that side of my brain back into play and do this thing that I really love, which is not just teaching the skills, but really investing in them as people and hopefully giving them what they need to go on and really flourish whatever they decide to do to feel some confidence in moving forward with that. We are building community here. We're being creative together, but we're also really asking these big questions about life that I think we're all asking. That has actually been one of the most fulfilling things that's happened. If women come away from this experience and feel like somebody has cared about them and invested in them and really tried to give them a springboard for their careers, it doesn't matter actually what our numbers are. Getting to pour into other people who hopefully will go on to do great work in their own lives, that is even more exciting, actually. I think I just want to end by hearing where are you going with Shelter in Place and how can we support you? Yeah, thank you. So you can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts and also at shelterinplacepodcast.info. And where we are going, it's more about the metaphor of shelter in place. How do we find shelter and safety and a sense of belonging wherever we are? And here we are across the country in a little apartment that we're renting. And we are learning to find our shelter here in a totally new way. Our family's plan right now is to try to take a little time off in the summer, which is hard to do with a weekly podcast, and to slowly make the trip back to California and get there by early August. We're figuring it out as we go, and I'm excited to keep doing this work and really excited about the mentoring program. I mean, that to me feels like the future of Shelter in Place in many ways. 
I love that. I'm really excited to keep following your journey. And I'm sure other people who will get to check out your podcast are as well. The podcast allows it to go into so many different directions and to be so expansive around the reality of our collective human experience, you know, through the prism of your specific human experience. You've been listening to Lane Change. Our show is hosted and produced by me, Alina Sarabriani, with editing help from Steve Woodward. If you like what you've heard, please consider leaving a review or visiting lanechangepod.com to learn more. Till next time. I hope you enjoyed that conversation, which was first released on the podcast Lane Change back in March of 2021. You can find more Lane Change episodes at lanechangepod.com. Before I go, I wanted to let you know that we are now accepting applications for our fall podcast training program until July 31st. You can hear audio testimonials from our past graduates on our website, shelterinplacepodcast.info. Until next time, this is Shelter in Place. I'm Laura Joyce Davis. A Huda Media Production.